you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 1. Good morning and Maranatha to you. It is so good to be back. And again, the, to be ministering from God's Word, always a challenge, even if it's just for myself. What an amazing book it is to study, to be excited about. And I pray this morning, my prayer always is that the things that I've studied just a little bit, obviously you know, are not in their complete form. There's always room for growth, much of it. Hopefully there's no correction that needs to be made, but I invite that as well, because we are to judge God's word, uh, as, as the Bereans did in Scripture as well. I have you in the book of Daniel, and just to let you know what an excellent job the memorization of Scripture was this morning, I believe that that was key in the life of David. I don't believe he wrote those words uh, to sound fancy when he said he hid his, God's word in his heart, that he might not sin against him. I believe it's key not only for the young, but also for the older and I believe it's something that we're losing a little bit of. Good to see a good start. Pray that we would learn from it. I, I was sharing last night just the emphasis, uh, actually the lack of emphasis sometimes in our own personal life to just take time to memorize God's word. Uh, but I have you in the book of Daniel and, and, I, and another gentleman in the book of Daniel as an, as an example to us as he would gauge himself, gear himself even at a young age in the things, uh, in the writings of the scriptures. He held on to them, and they were a gauge for him, a compass for him throughout his life. It wasn't that he was just somehow miraculously endowed by God, and there he was, a righteous man. We, we, we sometimes read the scriptures, and we think it was that way. But even as our brother Bob and I were talking about, it's the same God. It's just a willing believer that's willing to act upon the faith that we have and to build on it and allow the God to use us. And I believe he can, like he does Daniel. But I have you again, chapter 1, and let's just read. Last time we, we left off in, in a little bit of Daniel chapter 1, and I said, if, I, if the Lord's gracious, I'll come back, pick up where I left off, and that's what I plan on doing this morning. But if you weren't here last time, you're, yeah, yeah, if you weren't here last time, you have your work cut out for you, because we got through a good portion of the book of Daniel. I think we got to about verse 2 of chapter 1, so... <laughs> I tell you, it probably wouldn't be worth trying to catch up, but let's, let's try it anyways, okay? It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with, the, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the, noble, uh, the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, or some would say Chaldeans, and it says, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now from among them, uh, uh, those of the son of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. 
So I remind you that uh, when we started uh, our study in the book of Daniel, and I know that we're in the tabernacle and our hearts are burning uh, uh, in studying the tabernacle, but I thought I'd give you a small break, even though I was told the introduction was last week. You're probably not ready for a break on the tabernacle, but I insisted and I brought you back to Daniel. And so Daniel chapter 1, I remind you that when we studied, you look at this, this, this verse and you immediately realize that Daniel believed not only in one true God, but he believed in a God who was in control of the individual life and on a global level. So he believed in a very big God. As you might find in the, edu in the education system of Daniel's day, they weren't too fond of that idea. But Daniel held on to it. That's what kept him and his compass straightforward in pleasing God. Very key. But it didn't end there. Verse 2 lets us know that he also believed in a one true God who was in control of history, but was also supreme and supreme in value, meaning there was nothing more important than him. Uh, if it was a popularity contest, I'll tell you that Daniel wasn't doing very well because that was not accepted in the educational system. And I remind you that Babylon was no backwoods uh, uh, farm town. It was the center of the earth at one point, actually at two points. It was the center of the earth. Some of the things that were taking in place in Babylon, we still have to this day. Some of us have a watch. We have a clock up there. And, and the division of time in, in, in the format of 60 is something that was found to be true in that day, something that was created in their educational system. They were light years ahead in their medicine, in their law, in their, in their politics. I mean, th this, was, this was the upper echelon society. It is, no, it is no wonder why God in chapter 2 would say that it was the head of gold. When he compared it to other societies, to other civilizations that would come after it, he, he compared Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom to that of gold, the value of it being supreme. And if you look, and, I, and, and Jamal's not, is he here? He's not here. Okay, if you look, there's a book that we got. I, uh, I was sharing it with Jamal. Somebody's taking the time to write all the, 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 like all the inventions and all the, the comings of that day. And the book is about this thick, and I think it has at least three volumes. I only got volume one, and I'm already scared. But the, th the thing is, Babylon was an amazing place to be. And here it was that they, uh, not, not, uh, you get into verse 3, and look how they became such a marvelous place. It was a powerful kingdom. And what they would do was very wise. They would go, and as they would take over other places, what they would do is not wipe out the whole place. We've seen that a little bit in the Old Testament where everyone was leveled. The buildings were leveled to the ground. The people were slain. Everything was left, left in rubble. Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't feel that that was appropriate. Not to say that he didn't do a little destroying, but what he did do was he took the cream of the crop of society and he put them in his schooling that they might add to his kingdom. It was an amazing thing. It sounds easy. It sounds practical, but not many people did that. Now, if you put your imagination to work and you imagine what it would be to have the architects of those that were in Egypt and, and uh, along with the politicians of those of, you know, like Italy and Rome, and you put basically the best of the best and you put them all together, wow, what a wonderful place you could build, huh? What a wonderful place you can bring together. And that's why some of the things are still considered, even to this day, on a historical level, they're considered the wonders of the world. A lot of them take place in Babylon. It's an amazing thing. And here it was, Nebuchadnezzar's system. And you'll find it in verse 3. And how does he do it? He takes these young men and he, under, the, under the instruction of Aspenaz, and he brings these young men and he brings them into their educational system. Now, their educational system, like I mentioned, was something that Judah would never have seen the likes of. 
It was an amazing place. Judah was a very small place. Babylon was a monstrosity of a place. It was, as we would maybe say something like, an Ivy League type. You would get education from all over, and it was the best of the best. So you could imagine as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would enter in when they finally got over the terror of being taken over, and they go and they make their first appearance into this school. Could you imagine how nervous they must have been to now know that at least they made the cut, didn't they? They were special. God had set them out, and Nebuchadnezzar noticed it. He brings them in. And, what is, and can you imagine it? You see, I was looking it up, and in that day, Nebuchadnezzar had about 1,196 temples dedicated to different gods. A little bit different than Judah. <laughs> Judah had one. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar had 1,196. That, that obviously can vary. But I, I, needless to say, there was a lot of temples, a lot of gods, and a lot of things that went into Babylon, and a lot of them weren't uh, pleasing to the most high god. And so he would bring these men in, and could you imagine? One of the gods that they called there was very popular in his day was called Marduk. And you know what they would do, just like they did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They would get these students in, and they'd bring them in, and the first thing they would do is they would change their names. And they would say, you know, you're no longer going to be called Daniel. You will be called Belshazzar or Belteshazzar. They would change their names. And it was something that was interesting because that's exactly what happened to all of these men. And they would come in, and you would imagine how it would go, almost something like this, uh, first day of school. I don't see any kids around, but I, I imagine some of them went back to school not too long ago. And you could imagine Daniel just sitting there, maybe quietly minding his own business. And there, lo and behold, a senior student in his third year, having you know, his chest puffed out, walks up to Daniel and he says, good, good, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it was. And he says, my name is Marduk. Marduk, Daniel would say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, you see, there was a tremendous battle, and here you are, and Nebuchadnezzar's favorite today is Marduk, and that is my name. There's really no big meaning to my name. And then he would say, but what is your name? Daniel would look at him and say, well, my name is Daniel. He says, oh, Daniel? He says, what does that mean? Or does, does it mean anything at all? And Daniel would look at him and say, yeah, as a matter of fact, it does mean something. It means my God is judge. And then you could imagine Marduk's response. Ha! He goes, ha, I see what it is. You're part of the, the Hebrew tribes, the Hebrew boys that we brought in. Oh, I feel sorry for you. It turns out that the papers printed that we took you guys over, and oh, what a sad day. And here you are. You say, Daniel, your God is judge? And you could imagine how, uh, in a sense, it might have been a little embarrassing maybe to say that his God was judge. Because you see, it's hard to stand against the evidence that they had just been taken over. But then, lo and behold, friends are good friends, aren't they? And Mishael would stand up, whoa, 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 whoa. Daniel's not the only one. My name is Mishael. And he would say, well, what does that mean? And I have it written down so that I don't mess it up. It says, uh, he says, no, no. You see, it's not only that our God is judge, but our God is unique. And he would say, it's like Mihayahu, I think is how you pronounce it. And he says, who is what God is? Who is like our God? There is none like my God. And you could imagine Marduk, oh, boys, you're, you're going to learn. You see, in Babylon, we have many a temple dedicated to many a gods. He says, why don't you do me a favor? Come up with us and the other boys, and we'll show you what real gods look like. You see, because obviously, he put two and two together. You guys got taken over. Therefore, your god must not be that powerful. He might be a god. He might not be that powerful. And then Azariah would step in. He says, whoa, whoa, hold on now. You see, my name is Azariah. And again, Azariah, if you're looking along maybe in your fancy Bible, it says, our god shows grace. And could you imagine what a difficulty Mark Duke might have in taking that in? God, who is a judge, who is unique, 
who shows grace, and here you are in bondage. And then last one is Hananiah. And Hananiah's name means our God helps or shows helps. It's an amazing thing, as these men would hold on to the realities of their names. But you see, they were all in bondage. And the two in this world don't mix. Because many a time, people look at God for solutions, for deliverance, for solving problems. That's what God is. He's not one to be served. He's one that serves us. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? Have you, ever, have you ever had anyone come to you like that? I had a buddy of mine, uh, I never met him before, but I had the luxury of working with him. And his concept about God, now he was a humble young man. He had gone through, uh, I guess uh, he was just going through a divorce. He was humble, he, his heart was open. But you see, he didn't understand where God fit in because he didn't understand why God would permit certain things in his life. He didn't really claim to know God. He just figured if there was a God, these things wouldn't happen to him. So you can imagine how the difficulty that Daniel would have, him and his friends, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, the difficulty that they would have standing up for God. When all of a sudden all men can do in Babylon was look and say, your God is not that powerful because he, he's delivered you into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And they had difficulty putting the two together. But you see, Daniel didn't have that difficulty because he believed in a God who was in control. What led him to believe that? Brothers and sisters, it goes back to Daniel chapter 9. He knew the writings of Jeremiah. He knew the writings that were available to him. And he was confident that the things that happened were not a mistake. Were not just a, a, some chance that Nebuchadnezzar got the better of Judah. No. De Jeremiah had said years before that Babylon was going to come. And God was going to use these pagan kings to destroy and to judge Israel for their failure to keep his word. And so in a sense, instead of breaking Daniel down, what it did was lift him up. But you see, you have so many believers. And I've, I'm old enough now to see how this happens. You see, we get, we get a little, uh, I don't want to say lazy. That might be a little hard. But we get a little complacent when it comes to God's word. And we don't study it and we don't get to know it. We get to know other things, though. We're very, we're very, when it comes to things of interest, I mean, I, I'll be the first one. I'll be the first one to say. My, my, when it comes to interest, I like to know a lot about certain things, okay? And I know you do, too. But the reality is when it comes to God's word, we, pay, we, we get complacent. You see, Daniel wasn't complacent with God's word. That's why it gave him confidence to identify with God. You see, this was no longer a God of history, no longer a God on a global level, as majestic as those thoughts might be. And this was no longer a God of values. Oh, no, no, no. To Daniel, it, was a, it, was a, it, it dealt all with identifying with God in a pagan society. And, I th and see, we have the same challenge, don't we? This room is filled today. That's, that's a good thing. The kids are back there. That, that's the surplus. That's a good problem. I like those problems. The, the problem is, though, we're still in the minority when it comes to outside of these doors. Now, if you expect, and I, and I, I add the challenge because I don't have the kids here, so I pray that you would relay this message to them. You see, it, studying God's word is, 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 no simple, is, is no thing, nothing to be taken lightly. The believer has no time to waste uh, when it comes to this matter. They need to study God's word. And our children need to be brought up in the prophetic books. I said that when I was here last time. 
You see, sometimes we look at these Bible books and we have certain labels right off the bat. Uh, Zechariah, too tough. Isaiah, don't understand it. Ezekiel, oh Lord, don't even know why that one's in there. And then you, then you get into the Johns and the Marks and the Matt, and you love those books. But you lay aside some of the key books in the Bible that were pivotal to these men. They studied them. They gave their time to them. Nobody said it would be easy. I hope you don't think every day at your work is easy and the way that you got to the position at your job was easy. No, 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 it was challenging at times. But he's a gracious God, isn't he? And he's good in those moments. In the moments where you give yourself to knowledge in Scripture. Bro, bro, there was a brother I was listening to on tape, and I wish, of course, he was here because he'd probably say it a lot better. But he would say this. He says, the, the challenge today is to add to your faith knowledge. So, much of us, so, so many of us at, go out these doors and don't do that. And the problem is when, when, our, when our young come up, and they're not grounded in God's word, and there's, no, and, there, and there's no building them up in the knowledge of God's word, adding to their faith knowledge. What they do do, and they do it, some of them uh, with a twisted arm, is they, they try to go to school and they try to excel in that area. Nothing wrong with that. But they're forced to study the philosophies and the sciences and the politics and all that. And it floods them, and it will flood them, because they're, you know, a lot of the courses are required for certain education, certain jobs. And then they, when, when it comes to competing with their knowledge in God's word, what ends up happening too often, brothers and sisters, is that it dissipates. And whatever they believed in, God is nothing. And it disappears. And it should not be a surprise. Because there's no way that you can thrive like Daniel thrived if you don't put the time in in God's word. If it's just something that you take lightly, then don't expect. It's like going out there against the machine guns of this world and going out there with your bare knuckles. You won't stand the chance. And I tell you to pass that on. The kids can take it. The books that God's given to us, may, may we graciously go through them. If we have to go through them slow, let us go through them. You see, it was pivotal for Daniel to identify with God. He knew it, and he studied God's word. And, 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 and trust me, I'm preaching to myself uh, uh, first. But you see, Aspenaz had a tremendous responsibility. He had to take care of these men. Some of them were good. Some of them, I, I imagine, were brilliant men, but might have been difficult. And so Aspenaz was put over these men. And he was instructed not only to teach these men in the Chaldean language, because it was, it was, in my mind, I look at it as almost a brainwashing type di bit, but it worked. It was not only responsible for that, but he was also responsible for their diet. I mean, how many of us would, if we had a king's delicacies, you know, the diet might be a problem. So he had to make sure that they ate and drank and that the portion that was given to them and that they would looked what? They looked healthy. And so it was a tremendous responsibility. But look what happens. Before, a little bit before that, you get this thing in verse 7. And we talked about it a little bit this morning. It, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. And if you do a little study on that, you'll find that what he gave them was, if, if you know the word parody, he gave them like a parody of their names. And it was almost, in a sense, to insult the God of the Jews. Because he gave them names that were relatively, relatively close. But I leave you to study that. If not, we can talk about it later. And then you get the key verse. And this is where we get excited, don't we? Because this is the verse that we ask our kids to memorize. Oh boy, here it is. Daniel, and he purposes in his heart, verse 8, that he would not defile himself. He wouldn't do it with the portion of the king's delicacies. But remember this. that he, What was he protesting? He wasn't protesting the education, was he? He was protesting the food. And a lot of times it really wasn't even the food, although some would debate that some of it was offered to idols and there would be problems. Others have come along and said, nonsense, that doesn't exist. I leave that for you. I will say, though, that he did debate or he did uh, have an issue with the wine. You see? 
Because later on in this book, wine plays a key role in a tremendous decision. We went over it on Friday. You see, in, in chapter 5, Belshazzar has a little bit of wine. And you see what he does? When he's a little tipsy, he finally comes out with the truth, doesn't he? And he looks around as he looks at his friends and his buddies all, all gathered together, the who's who of society. And he wants to make a scene. And he wants to let people know once and for all what he thinks about this God of Israel. And he's a little tipsy and he takes the wine glass and he says, and he invites as a good guest would. He said, now you, you drink. And you drink. And he himself drank. And there he proclaimed with a loud voice. He says, if you're looking for value and you're looking the meaning of life, he goes, the meaning of life is me. And there with all the pride as a king would have, he shouted that out and he basically said, and he was done with God. He had written God off and he said the value was in himself and everything to please himself. Do you think that you live in a, in a world like that today? You see, because the problem is that to live for Christ brings problems. People don't like that. They don't like for you to live that way. That manner sometimes is offensive in the way that you don't have to say a word sometimes, do you? When you're at work and don't participate in jokes or this or that, you, you offend other people. And it, people don't like to be offended. Nobody likes to be offended. Nobody's toes like to be stepped on. That, was the, that wasn't the problem. You see, when it came to him, he made this big show. And all he did was show everyone there that he had zeroed out God. God would have to deal with him. And it came at a horrible time when he participated in a little bit of wine drinking. You see, here, Daniel had to have known that he had to be on his guard. He had to be on his watch. And, and from chapter 1 all the way throughout the book, you see, he, his compass was gauged on the written word of God. And so that's what made him, gave him the success that he did have and the, the, the ability here to identify with God even though the world around would not identify with him. And we mentioned the other day, it was interesting, our brother's not here, I looked for him on Friday and I've looked for him this morning and I don't see him. Uh, he mentioned something a couple months ago when I was here just visiting on a Friday night. And he said, you know, it's interesting that when you look at the book of Daniel, everybody calls Daniel by Daniel. Nobody calls him Belshazzar. But when it comes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, nobody refers to them as Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, do they? I don't know if it's just that it got easy or, or we just slipped up somewhere. Uh, but either way, I was interested in that comment. Okay? And you know what I did? I went back and I looked at it. You see, Babylon, in the middle of this book, falls. History teaches us that. Chapter 6. They fall. Babylon is no more. They didn't disappear off the face of the earth, but they were no longer, it went to the Medo-Persians. And you know what happened from that point on? Daniel gets his name back. They, start to, they, they refer to him as Daniel. And at the very end of the book, it's a very powerful thing. God doesn't call him Belteshazzar. God calls him Daniel. And in a sense, he starts one way. And yes, they changed his name. But what did it all mean? Why would they change his name? And I just want to remind you, this, if you mind, give me a second to just reflect. Because when it comes to Babylon, another good question is, where did Babylon start? And why were they so interested in what they called you, and what they called you, and what they called me? Why was it so interesting? Well, where did it all start? If you remember the scriptures, if we just go back to Genesis, you remember Genesis 11? <laughs> Babel. And what was it? What was the cry from Babel? Let us make us a name. Interesting that the origins of Babylon where Babel itself it was always about making themselves a name. And the reality is that they tried to do it without what? They tried to do it without God. Let us make us a name. But do you remember chapter 12? 
See, because uh, Daniel had a forefather, didn't he? And you remember what his name was? Abram. In chapter 12, the chapter right after the Tower of Babel, you get Abram on the scene. And what does God say to Abram? You remember? He says, you come out of them, and I will make your name great. And there you have the crossroads, don't you? You have two ways of living it. You see, you can either decide to make a name for yourself, and nobody in the outside of these doors, I hope that in these doors we, we will give you trouble, but outside of these doors, nobody's going to give you trouble. Because if you have it here and you, you have a, a, a certain requirement here, education, a job, a family, an X, Y, Z, the world is all okay with that. As a matter of fact, it's redefining all that. The family life and the workplace, isn't it? The marriage, it's all being redefined in the very country that we live in. So outside of these doors, you will not find too much opposition to making a name for yourself. As a matter of fact, it's what our kids are taught. It's what we're taught from the beginning, isn't it? You've got to get this and that, and you've got to thrive. And then you get to that point where you've got to step on some toes and step on some people to move up the ladder, then so be it. Fend for yourself, because there's a bunch of animals out there, isn't it? It's interesting enough that when I say that, I can only think of chapter 7, 8 in this book. It's almost as if a zoo is introduced, and it's animals, and it's talking about the world. And God's not showing an image of beauty, of, of gold and of silver and bright. No, no, those days are done. Chapter 2 is long gone. Chapter 7 and 8, they're animals. And not only are they animals, but they're like these, uh, these, these composite animals put together. In a sense, the picture that you get in your mind is that they don't look right. And you're absolutely right. Because when God is identifying the world, he no longer uses beautiful pictures of a, of a nice uh, towering image. Mm -mm, not anymore. He looks at it as animals. And in this world, opposition to you doing what you can do for yourself not going to be, uh, not going to, you're not finding too much contradiction to that. But you see, there, there it is. Abram had that decision. Either he can humbly take the road, not knowing where he would go, and allow God to make a name for him, or he can do it himself. And you saw what trouble Lot got into, and you saw what others that went on before. And then when you read those verses, oh, don't let them mock you, because those, those decisions that Moses made and Joshua made, those were not easy decisions. Because like I told you guys the last time, I told you all last time, these men were of the upper echelon of Babylon. These were not just men that were giving up, uh, you know, here a tenth or maybe a small 401k. No, 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 no. No, no, they were up to the third part ruler in, in this, in this in massive country. They had to give it up. And they had, they had it all, I mean, at their power. And these men had it all. And they still decided to what? Identify with God. And at the end of this book, God recognizes them. Daniel, he says. He doesn't call him Belteshazzar. See, the world might be able to change his name, but he knew inside who he identified with. I hope you've gotten there. I hope you can identify with God. And no matter what this world has, because let me tell you, it is, there is good things. I hope you don't think this world is all bad. God created this world, and a lot of it is very good. A lot of it is very, very pleasurable, and nobody would argue, I hope, I hope, nobody would argue that this world is good. God created it. He appeals to the mind. He appeals to the senses like no one else can. This world is beautiful. But there's a lot of evil in this world too, isn't there? And those are the things that the Lord Jesus, I, I was mentioning with the fellows the other day, when he prayed for them in John 17, his prayer was specific, wasn't it? Not that you would take them out of the world. That wasn't their thing. Not the flowery beds of ease. As soon as you're saved, you're somehow Spock and you're, you're gone. That didn't happen. 
The room wouldn't be here filled this morning. You've got to ask yourself, why? And then the Lord Jesus answers that. He says that you would keep them from the evil one. Because you know why? You get to be a testimony for him outside these doors. And not this private testimony, I pray, brothers and sisters. Not this, let me pray and keep my life to myself. That is the temptation today that floods us in God's house. That our private testimony, the Lord honors it. I know he does. But imagine if you were on the other side. And all you had was a bunch of private Christians walking around doing their own thing. And not letting you know about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you have to go out there and be the, the evangelist of evangelists. The Billy Grahams. Maybe some of us are. I hope you're looking into it. But if not, you can be a personal testimony in the way that you do things in your life. And the way that you do things in closed doors. And the way that you honor the Lord at work. And doing things honorable to Him. And not just for a paycheck. I, I, you know, those are the kind of things that we're talking about. But it doesn't end there. Look what happens. Because now you have the unfortunate uh, uh, admissions officer, uh, 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 the chief of the eunuchs, and he comes in, and Daniel has this tremendous desire not to defile himself. And let me tell you, that sounds amazing, unless you are uh, the chief of the eunuchs. Because the chief of the eunuchs had never heard this before. And he was very much responsible for these young men. And he had to make sure that they ate right, and they had their certain portion, and that they were taught, and they had three years. And who knows what kind of curriculum they had to go through. This was no home, easy homeschooling. Ask Jamie. I mean, this was, this was homeschooling. And they had to be sharp. And they had to stand before the king. And in reflection of, the, uh, of standing before the king, who would they reflect? They would reflect the chief of the eunuchs. And so it might sound good on paper. Oh, good old Daniel doesn't want to define himself. Oh, I bet everybody was on board. No, 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 no. You see, Aspen has went right to it, didn't he? He said, Daniel, I fear the Lord, my king, and my neck. You see, I like my neck, and I like my head where it's at. And, I, and, I, and I'd, rather, I'd rather not compromise what the king's desires are, because you see, if something goes wrong, I'm going to account for it. And he was scared, wasn't he? And so what does he do? He, see, he talks to these men, and Daniel, with wisdom, sometimes it's not about bulldozing. It's about using wisdom. And, and, I, and I pray that that just it, it, it flies right through this book. The way that Daniel with wisdom, not that he's being sneaky, but he's a wise, shrewd man, knows how to approach authority. I pray that those are the kind of things that we pick up on and don't just let them slide. Look what it says, verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. That's a hefty task. I, I don't know about you, but I like the buffet lines a little bit better than just vegetables and water. But here Daniel was. And so was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were right along board. And they were okay with that. They wanted to honor God. It's an interesting thing how they would stand out. But praise the Lord that they do it because you know what we say? If they can do it, so can we. Amen. Amen. Well said. Verse 13 says, Then let our appearance be examined. Appearance. Brothers and sisters, it's no longer identity. Now it's image that they were worried about, wasn't it? They were worried about not looking as good as everybody else. And let me tell you that the, one of the biggest struggles that we have in this world is that very same thing, isn't it? Our image and how we look to other people. You see, in here, it's good to sing choruses and hymns because most of the time we all agree. Maybe some of us are a little off-tune, but that's okay. We agree in the hymns, don't we? And we love the hymns, and we love the meanings behind them, and we love the God that we lift them up to. But you see, outside of the world, Sometimes it's hard because we get this pale image of what a Christian should look like. 
Like they should be some kind of somber and lowly creature and they're kind of almost outcast looking. Interesting. The image that these men had. And look what happens. Uh, because I tell you, sometimes we get caught up in not being the believer that we should be, not holding the testimony because we're afraid of how we're going to look. Be careful with that. But look what these men do. Just They kind of go through it. It says, so the, he consented. He kind of gave in. He budged, okay? The, the, the admissions officer said, you know what? Have it your way. I'll test you for 10 days. If this doesn't work out, you're going back on a double portion. And then 15 happens. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portions of the, uh, of the king's delicacy. So is that what life is about? You trust God and all of a sudden you become better than everyone else? You trust God and there goes all your problems. All your problems fade away. Is that what it is? Well, it wasn't their case. Man, I'm not going to promise you that it's going to be in your case. And it's definitely not in my case. It doesn't mean that you're going to be better. But you see, better is what? A comparative word, isn't it? Is there, is there anything? I mean, does that ring a bell at all? Does that, does that make any sense? It's a comparative word. So when you say better, better than what? You've got to ask yourself that. Because look, what, you, you, uh, what we're holding in our laps, in our hands, is a Bible, right? We, we own the Bible to be the one source, the one true source, right? But you see, in this world, they don't believe in the Bible to be the one only true source. Many philosophers, scientists, so on and so forth, they'll confess that the Bible is a good book, but a book, not the book, okay? You, on the other hand, I trust, hold to a different position, don't you? You hold that the Bible is the one source and is divinely written by men inspired by God. Is that true? You see, because when it comes to this society, they looked at it and they said he was better. And they were so used to somebody else coming along and having a better education, having a better form of government. I mean, look at governments the way that they've progressed. Let that be a small example. Because at one point, there was kings that if they liked you, they lifted you up. And if they didn't like you, they put you down. And then later on, you, you find in this very book, it goes to the Medes and the Persians. And you remember what was fascinating about them? The introduction of law. And how that there was no person that just went based upon their feelings. Now it was law. And we were all, even Stephen, all under the law. And that was a tremendous stride in the government system, wasn't it? But then it later on, what day do we live in? And what do we have? We have democracy. And democracy has its, its pros, doesn't it? I mean, it isn't altogether bad. It's, it's functioning. Some of us think that it's the only form of government, but we find it in Scripture that might not be the case. You see, but either way, you look at it, they were used to things coming better. And so, in a sense, they were always anticipating the what? The change. And they were okay with that. Somebody comes with a better philosophy. We accept it. it is, it's written in stone until somebody better comes along. But I tell you, is that all there is? Or is there something divine? Is there men that have, have divine inspiration in writing the very books that you hold? Because you find you will have to defend that. Because you claim the Bible. And a lot of people say you claim it because you grew up in it. And you were a kid. Maybe you didn't know so much. And you just took the Bible and you never really asked any questions. But me, on the other hand, I went to school. And I was educated. And I found out that the Bible is not all that it's cut out to be. And now you're, now you're, you're put, being put in a corner, aren't you? 
Because there's men that are like that. They're like ravening, ra raving lions, wolves. I mean, they want to pounce all over that. They want to they take the believer and say that what you believe, and they want to crumble it. They live for that. There's, there's debates going on every, on, a, on a weekly basis where they talk about the, 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 the no existing, uh, non-existing God. There's no God. And they want to eliminate that thought, and you are going to have to defend it. You see, that Bible you hold, you may never have asked yourself where it came from. But is there anything like divine revelation? And then you see that with those big questions, God is good, isn't he? Because in, yeah, amen. And then he goes in chapter 2, he answers that very question to the letter. You know how he does it? You remember chapter 2, don't you? Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to close with this. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the old timer that he was, was a, uh, he had dreams. It's so nice to have dreams. That implies that you're sleeping. Sleeping is a good thing. I like sleep. And I, I trust that you do too. And so Daniel, uh, Daniel had the, the fortune and pleasure of uh, running, having some run-ins with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams. And these dreams, and he dreamed them, and he dreamed them. And so much so that they took his sleep away. Nobody likes that. Especially not my wife. Don't take his sleep away. Might be a frightful thing to step into a room when somebody hasn't had too much sleep. And here he was, and he was sick and tired of no sleep. So what does he do? He's a very wise man. He has astrologers, magicians, soothsayers, and he has them all. And he says, now come over here, and I need you a big favor. And they're all excited because this is what they get paid the big bucks for. Six digits, you know, here they are. It's time to perform. And they, they go to the king. Oh, king, let the dream be made uh, known to us, and we'll give you what? The interpretation. You give us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. Business as normal. All is good. And Nebuchadnezzar, just so you don't get confused with your King James, uh, when, when you look at it in the Greek, and I'm, no, I'm not standing up here saying that I'm a professor in any Greek, but it's been made known to me that the Greek there is not that he forgot the dream, but that he hid the dream. Well, why would he do that? You see, because in that day, who knows who was on whose side? You had to be saved, didn't you? And if you start throwing all your dreams out there, then the, the, those that are not on your side may easily turn around and give you an interpretation like this. Well, king, all this means is that you need to give up. The God of heaven or God of whatever is going to take you over, you need to do such and such, and you might heed that advice as a, as a false interpretation. So he had to be careful. Nebuchadnezzar, not, not, he was a smart man. Let's just put it that way. And what he did was hide the dream from them. He knew the dream. He, he can recollect it right away. But he wanted to challenge them. And he said, you, you give, me the, you give me the dream and then give me the interpretation. And you could imagine how they approached it. They said, wait, maybe the old man didn't hear us. He doesn't have hearing aid, so maybe they get a little closer. And they said, Nebuchadnezzar, you see, uh, 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 the normal protocol would say that you would give us the dream first. And then we'll give you the interpretation. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to give you the dream. You say that you can get, interpret dreams. You give me the dream and then give me the interpretation. And then they just went out and they threw their hands up in the air like everybody does when it's, they've had enough. He said, listen, king, let's be honest. And they, they said this as respectable as they can. They said, uh, th what you're asking, no one's ever asked this before. This is a special order, and we've never had it of this sort before. And, and, and to be honest with you, nobody can do what you're asking to be done. Uh, and maybe, maybe the gods, uh, but their, their dealings are not with men. They don't peddle around. They don't meddle with men's affairs. And so in a sense, they were saying this in bold letters. There's no such thing as divine revelation. Hmm? 
no divine revelation. They basically, these were smart, smart men. I mean, men, they, these, these, these were educated. If you had a little tea or a little coffee time with them, it would have been a glorious time. Their conversation would have been amazing, kind of like sitting with the, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the government. I mean, so these people just, they didn't get to where they were by accident. But this is the assessment that they made. They threw their hands up in the air. And they said there was no divine revelation. They didn't believe that there was in such a thing. However, guess who comes on the scene? Almost. Daniel comes on the scene. And you know what Daniel says? Oh, Daniel steps on the scene and he says something miraculous, brothers and sisters. He says, this, is, this interpretation, this dream that I'm about to give you, is not because I'm any better than all the other astrologers. No, 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 no. He says it very clear. That the God of heaven has revealed it to me. And because of that, I can show you the dream and I will give you the interpretation thereof. There was such a thing as divine revelation. That Bible you hold, brothers and sisters, is not a bunch of make-believe stories to entertain you. Nor are they put together to mock you. Those words are inspired. God himself has put himself as an author and he's glad to use men to put them on paper. Now you can take that, in a sense, to the bank. Because there is such a thing as divine revelation, those stories, those men would probably be the first to confess, at least a good bit of them, they were not worthy to write what they wrote. A lot of them were fishermen, a lot of them were, you know, in, in bonds when they wrote what they did. Outcast of society at times. But either way, the believer today, 2013, needs to know that what you hold on to is not just better. It is the only source. It is, the only, it is one of the only books that hasn't changed. Brothers, that should give you confidence in it. And the things that it says, don't waste time and believe that you're reading them and there won't be any profit. No, brothers and sisters, there's people that are studying and go to school for X, Y, and Z, for changing philosophies, for changing theories, and yet you have the one source that doesn't change. Pray that the Lord gives you grace and that you go back to the fundamentals and you study God's word so that when trials and troubles will come, and they will come, that you can stand and identify, and your image won't be tarnished, but you can identify with God all that he would give us grace to get back to it. And I trust that if you, you come back tonight, we, we, we hope to look a little bit more into it, and I thank you for your kindness and your patience with me. I hope I didn't go too much over. Uh, you, can't, you, you, you tempted me by not telling me the finish time, and since it's my birthday, uh, I took the liberty of a couple extra minutes. Okay, let us close in a word of prayer, shall we? Our Father and our God, we do thank you. We thank you for thy word, and we know, Father God, it is, it is an exciting thing. And, and we thank you, Father, that you allow us to come in this fashion. What a wonder of wonders that one day, Lord, we trust that it will be soon, that we will no longer be in the minority. We will be in the majority. And the things that we do, the sacrifices that we make, and pray that even if today is the day that we start making those sacrifices, that they will not be void the world will not get to enjoy the pleasures of heaven like we do. And pray that the time that we invest in it, that we would give the glory to thy son. We pray for this assembly. We pray that they would be strengthened and they would be encouraged and to go back to the reading of God's word and the studying of it. Father, encourage us, depart us with thy blessing and bring us back tonight uh, if you desire, Father. For it is in thy son's name we pray. Amen.